The automobile is one of the most important inventions that revolutionized the modern world. In America, the rich history of car culture runs deep as technology continues to shape the future of the industry. Jason Stein, former publisher of Automotive News, is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars, from industry leaders and innovators to car-obsessed celebrities. Buckle up as Jason takes you inside the boardroom, onto the track, and around the bend on Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business Radio. Welcome to Sirius XM's Cars and Culture. I'm Jason Stein in Miami. Clearly, you can go home again. But not only just go home, go home in style, driving the hottest sports car in America. The same car that you dreamt of, conceived, and designed out of your own studio. And then brought back to Miami to show America the future of a car brand. You can be Cuban-American Alfonso Albaiza, a designer extraordinaire global boss of Nissan's design studios, who not only has his fingerprints on 20 current or future vehicles within the automaker's stable, but for some, he has the most important vehicle in years, the infamous Z. From Alfonso to Z. From the streets of Miami's Coconut Grove as a boy growing up in a hippie neighborhood, to seeing a Datsun Z for the first time, and then, years later, landing with the automaker out of design school and seeing the next Z in clay and falling in love. Then Alfonso Albaiza did what he only thought was impossible, landing the lead role, the boy from Miami directing the global direction of the brand, a true American success story. He's the son of an architect, the brother of a structural engineer, and a boy who loved architecture and yachts and buildings, but ended up drawing cars because he loved the roar of the Datsun that his uncle drove around that Miami neighborhood. Design was in the genes, clearly but cars were in Alfonso's blood. So today, in this rare interview, just four blocks from where he grew up, we find him feeling very good about life because he's injecting life into a brand that was a bit morbid the last few years, as its leadership changed at the top and its search for an identity. Alfonso Albaiza is giving Nissan that identity and a purpose and a whole new direction, crafting vehicles that are each unique. Not a family as much as a collection of vehicles that all have their own purpose and buyer. Perhaps no one understands the brand better because 30 years later, it's the only automaker he's ever known. A rarity in a world where people change jobs as many times as they change cars. Alfonso is the keeper of the Nissan flame, fueling its surge. Living in Tokyo, he appreciates the need to preserve a Nissan identity and return it to relevance in its home market and beyond. And the Z is a nod to that relevance, incorporating cues of its past and directionally pointing to its future. It's retro and it's forward. It's cool and it's confident, and it's years in the making from a designer who spent many years understanding that Japanese culture. And as it hits the streets just now, the fever around the car is red hot. And today, as we sit down with its global champion, we hear the story of the Z development, its purpose, the planet Nissan, and his philosophy on design in general. The Z, Nissan, Japan, and a return to Miami during an in-person interview just blocks from where the world's first non-Japanese designer at a Japanese car company talks design. Hi, my name is Alfonso Albaiza, and this is Cars and Culture, and I'm here with Jason Stein. We're sitting four blocks from where you grew up. We're in the Coconut Grove area of Miami, which has changed significantly in the last 30 or 40 years, Alfonso. What does it mean for you to be back here in this neighborhood, in the role that you have now, and by the way, having come in from your usual spot, which is Tokyo. Yeah, uh, always, you know, like as artists or designers or creators or maybe any human being, when when you come home and you get rushed by all the things that are so detached from like what you're doing today, um, it, it's it's a bit shocking always and then in, when you're talking about who you are today in the context of seeing the little guy and then the, the person who's designing cars uh, especially since the reason I'm designing cars was because of what I had seen when I was a little kid yeah. uh, here on the streets of Coconut Grove, Jaguar E-Type so you know I, I, there is very little separation for me about from Miami to to what I what I love so deeply doing, which is design. Yeah, walking the streets. Coconut Grove has changed a lot. Yeah. But in many ways, because the jungle dominates, <laughs> uh, and the kind of car unusual character 
of the grove, it also doesn't change. So you know, it's great to be back. That Jaguar. Uh, I mean, you were you were exposed to vehicles um, through the vibrant nature of this neighborhood during that time. But that that Jaguar is is um, emboldened is is a symbol in your mind of where you wanted to go and, and what you wanted to do. Yeah. And I would imagine um, that memory of it uh, becomes quite clear when you come back to a place sure. like Coconut Grove, especially because the light. Because my dad was an architect and he had a studio in the Grove and uh, it had a it was a Coral Rock building it's quite an old original Grove building and the lobby was glass and he had a huge city of Miami model in there and Milo was boats actually and I would spend all my time drawing a boat and then making it out of balsa wood which was the wood of his models and then he would get mad at me because I'd make a little trailer and I'd put it behind the little cars and I'm like, you know, Alfie, please, this is a, this is a professional model. And uh, one day I heard this sound. So I'm in the lobby playing with the models and I hear a grumbling, gurgling sound. And this, I'll never forget the gravel because it was a gravel driveway. So it drew my attention and I looked out and, you know, the sun, that you've been here is it has to somehow get around the clouds which are very thick mm. and then get through the leaves which are very thick and the branches and finally get to the road and what all of that did to that black e-type convertible body was a change i put the balsam one away and i started drawing cars and i'll remember it so detailed even today at 57 years old so it's been a while and your father, uh, as, as an architect, obviously surrounded himself with design and was a designer to some extent himself. The black felt pen onto graph paper, right? But, but your automotive design and where, where you wanted to go with your life was also influenced by your uncle, correct? Yes, my uncles and my, the whole family of architects and the uh, unusual twist in my particular family is that my mom's uncle was a super famous architect in Cuba. And he's a bit of an icon in the family. And like the, the Tropicana Club uh, was designed by him and all these things. So you, you had this weird sense like, yes, you should do this kind of thing. But at the same time, the achievements of those before you were a bit too high for you to imagine yourself doing it, even though that drawing felt natural, doing this felt natural. Not the felt tip, that's not natural. I don't know how my dad did that. <laughs> but but uh, it was an interesting kind of mix about knowing what you wanted to do but being a bit humbled by that. Japanese cars were trickling into the United States at that time, and your, your uncle had a Honda 600, correct? Yes. And, uh, and, and I think that there was, a, there was a Z that may have come into the picture at a certain point. Yes. Which brings us, of course, full circle to why we sit here today. <laughs> Tell me about that. My, uh, my uncle, another uncle, uh, well, he, he studied at Pratt Institute, which was my, my, where I Which is where you ended up, yeah. right. And when he came back, he had a Honda 600, little orange thing. And I remember this was, as you say, the, the Japanese products and cars were now becoming, changing life Americana. Like my dad, I remember he brought this little box home one day and because our TV wasn't working so great. And he pulled out this little orange TV. And I'm like, what is that? I mean, it looked cool, but I, I couldn't believe that that can really replace the Zenith or whatever that was. Yeah, it wasn't an RCA, yeah. right. Wow, that kept, well, the picture was so clear and the reception so great. It's the same story in the cars, that somehow in the early 70s, they hit that perfect spot where the gas prices and everything, but there wasn't a lot of really cool cars, but the 240 was, when I first saw that, I was like, wow, that's a sexy car. And a couple of the office boys in my dad's studio, they had, and you saw these young, young architects feeling all you know, 
cool in their 240s, which is, yeah, they were actually cool. Long, long hood, short deck, <laughs> classic sports car proportions, yeah. uh, great for the streets of Tokyo or maybe Rome, but, you know, Little Havana, uh, you know, yeah. would be like a, an awakening, correct? Yes, I mean, yeah. they were little tiny cars in the U.S. context. I mean, people had Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme and Monte Carlos, which were considered small cars. <laughs> yeah, right. And these were, and the 240 next to that, yeah, they look vulnerable, but very, very cool. Uh, and then they quickly, Nissan became, or it was Datsun actually, right. um, was embraced very quickly by the Latins, and many, many people had, you started seeing very quickly Japanese cars um, here, the Land Cruiser, I remember my buddy had a, my buddy's older brother had a Land Cruiser with the folding window. It was just a cool time to see that transformation. You're unique in the sense that you've, you've only worked at one car company, and yet designers uh, tend to move from one station to another over the course of their career. But if we go back to your first boss, and we connect it again to the Z, he had a Z, right? And he would let you drive it occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. Tom was a, was a fanatic about sports cars, so he always had a Z, and my first I moved to California to the studio in 88, and you know, like every student, you know, just student loans up to here, and uh, you know, it's shocked by the price of, a, you know, the rents of, a, a, you know, same as everyone. And so I had a little Renault car that would only start on Mondays. <laughs> and uh, when my boss would go away on the trip, a business trip, he would give me his his twin turbo Z, um, and uh, must have been like stepping into a Ferrari. I was, and I remember, especially it wasn't the three hundred Z; it was the one before. And uh, and the, the the shifting, the dropping, and just the power, and it had all the you know the door. Your door is ajar. Era of Japanese cars or <laughs> with the voice uh, conversations, and yeah, it was a UFO and. Uh, you know, Nissan has been a few companies. So yes, I've been here my whole life, more than half of my life. But there's been many waves of differences. And even in the Alliance time, the man, top management, when they change, Nissan changes. So the company felt different many, many times. And because we design everything. I've designed yachts for Nissan and golf clubs for TaylorMade with Nissan. So you, you're just, it never felt, it doesn't feel like 35 years, to be honest. It changes. Where is it now? Now, yeah, we're new again, to be honest, and especially the portfolio. If, like, now, now, or like, this portfolio, I am so stunned by, because of how it went down. So we call it Nissan X and all of this stuff, and, and then, of course, coined A to Z. But it was a reaction. It was when there was change of bosses, and uh, the practice of the company had been a bit to, the invest, you know very well, to, to trigger a new car is billions. And that's if you don't touch the factory. If you have to touch the factory, you're doubling it up. And they would play with that a little bit because of the financials. and so. Unintentionally, they created the oldest portfolio in the plant <laughs> that was draining the company dry. And so I come in, because Shiro had retired, and a new CEO came in with me, and he, he gave me a piece of paper, literally, and said, these are the cars you have to do, and you have to do them now. And it created a, a, a probably a once-in-a-lifetime where you can do an entire portfolio, not two cars, three cars, like most head designers have to do in the beginning. It was over 20 yeah. cars. It was so monumental that you had to change quickly what, how you think of the company and, and the new technologies. And so we were blessed by, we knew there was the new platforms coming, but it's not all EVs. Well, we had to do Frontier, which is, it's not an EV. 
That's weird. Right. And uh, so Frontier, Aria, Rogue, Pathfinder, QX60, all done at the same time. And uh, it, we really became students. We were studying Japanese history because I really felt Nissan had lost its identity through the journey. And that if you ask people on the street, who are the Japanese car companies, they would quickly tell you Toyota and Honda and maybe Mazda and Subaru. And, and then if you then say, why didn't you mention Nissan? They say, oh, kind of Japanese. To America? Yeah, they felt this kind of was not probably, I'm not gonna say it was too meaning negative. Right. Because it's, a, it's just an international company, right. which is on one side great, but the, if you ask them what a Japanese car was, it's cool, it's chic, it's colorful, it's edgy, it, we're all positive things. So when you're, I felt that we were losing on the halo of being Japanese, unintentional. If it was intentional, okay, that's fine. But I don't think the company intended that. So designing these 20 cars, we went deep into what it means to be Japanese. And, and what did you draw from to, to, history. to form that? But, but which elements of history? The art history and okay. architecture history. So the, the Z, for instance, it's quite minimal car, there are very few details. It's not minimalism. We found a word, a beautiful word, ma which is the mastery of the empty space in architecture. The gardens come from this, the, the rock gardens. And um, we fell in love with this sense of harmony that the Japanese architects would consider carefully elements they add because they have great meaning when you're only gonna add a few. And where Western minimalism was subtractive, probably reaction to Art Deco or Art Nouveau in Europe, where they were tired of the excess. Japanese don't have that in their history. And maybe it's BS and maybe not important because we're designing a car anyway. But we felt that these nuances were part inspirational for us to find a different minimalism, which we like. And also Kabuku is another great one, which came, we all know Kabuki theater where they paint their faces white. But in Shogun history, war history, um, 600, 700 years ago, this expression was to, be, to behave extraordinary, like a little bit crazy, a little bit nutty. And in, the, in Japan, this embracing of the unusual also was the defining thing. So the rogue's face with the high character split lamp and these elements were very much trying to create this unusual character which is friendly and pleasing. It doesn't make you feel strange. So we've been mixing these. We went deep into this stuff. And, um, and I loved it. And it helped so much making Pathfinder and Rogue and Z and Aria, all these things. What an enormous journey to be on and an opportunity as a design, as the, uh, as the head of design and your design team to say that you'll have a stamp on 20 vehicles. Okay. Very rarely in history does an individual and his team have the chance to recreate and to and to form the basis for the, for the future. You had to take that as an, as, a, as an overwhelming opportunity. Yes, overwhelming was the first one, and then opportunity was <laughs> when I got up off the ground, uh, when you, you look at it so optimistically. But it, I was worried because just the capacity of the team. Right. Um, you know, it was coming at a time when digital shift is happening and it helped us a great deal. Um, because even the physical sense of making models for all of these and how to get the overseas studios involved and not overwhelmed um, because the creation of a car is an act of course um, process but it's also an artistic thing and that people can get confused especially because we didn't feel that we're going to follow this the mantra of there's a design philosophy and you apply it to things. So we didn't want headlamp signatures, no body signatures. I, I don't want that. That's a little bit too easy. Everything could stand on its own. Everything stands on its own because our customer is like that. You have Jukes in Europe. You have GTR. I mean, let's go. Let's do the heavy hitting things right away. GTR and Z, they should never look alike. 
And it's because the customer is demanding something very different. And then you get in a rogue, is not a cash guy, a European. We used to have rogue sports, so that's European cash guy. We had real human beings saying, I don't want, I consciously don't want that car, I want this car, and I love this car. So we felt that there was a bit of an opportunity to challenge this thing, this assumption that you needed, that brand was a physical expression. So my feeling is brand is an emotional expression of trust, that I like this company, this company makes this type of car. But that's nothing to do with the body side or a headline. It has to do with the whole thing. So uh, I'm very happy that they all worked. <laughs> yeah, where are you in the journey now? The A to Z cars are all hitting heavy, good, thank God. Now COVID, it makes it difficult to know what is happening. But uh, we go by the customer and, and the you know, transaction price is a good trigger of like the grades they're selecting. So every car is expensive right now. But you can judge your performance with where people within the, the car, like if they tend to be going to the high spec cars is because they really love the car. They're not doing it because they can afford it. They're doing it because they love it. And this, our customer has changed to people who love us and love us again, really, because they had loved us before. We, back to the unintended, results, we somehow put business in front of why people buy cars is you have to have a relationship with them. And this relationship is not numbers necessarily. They need to afford cars and the lease price and the purchase price is very important. But if it's just that, then the race in the car is to make a cheaper car full of features. But that, that's not what we should be about. We have to make cars that people love, and they want to make their memories in the car they bought today. You asked the question of the Japanese consumer of, of where Nissan was in the conversation, and they gave you a very uh, detailed answer. Do you feel that this transformation is getting has allowed Nissan to return to the the forefront of the Japanese consumer's mind? We're really now thank God because that was one of my biggest headaches because. I didn't know how it was going to work in Japan. Mm -hmm. uh, Very different than I'm American, so I, I, I know the fondness that people have for Nissan and Japanese cars. And I, I was in, head of design for year in Nissan in Europe for three years. With, I made cash guy in Japan. I know how they feel, and they have a warmth in their heart. Now, Japan is different because that's where it was born. And Japan, and Nissan in Japan is almost 90 years old. It's a part of society. And I was really hoping that all of this stuff, including the Japanese DNA, was not feeling unusual for them because they're very detailed in their reaction to things. And I recognize I'm a foreigner. And my sensitivities are going to not be the same. And, uh, but they, they've been very good, so our little, we just launched a little tiny, tiny first ever EV K car. And the order, we'll never be able to make all the cars that they are asking. It's not, it was never in the plan to make that number. <laughs> um, and we're great in disease, where we thought that in the life we would have a kind of number. Uh, well, they're already, we've sold the life of the car. Hmm. And we barely sending them yet to people's homes. Uh, so uh, it, it's a good feeling because, again, I, I think that our portfolio Z is for is a, is a it's a future car, of course, but it's also about the memories of people and the things they saw as a child, and and then we really wanted the Z to feel like it touched on many memories that they had with their family or friends and all of that. Is there a specific design language that you want the Z to communicate or to impart to people who see it? The memory. I wanted it to be not necessarily retro. Um, we had a very deep discussion because I've been involved in three Zs. And uh, especially the... Including the first one you saw as a clay model when you walked yeah, into the, the studio. Yeah, the 300 was. Yeah. Right. And that I wasn't involved as much as I was 
floored. Blown away, right. And, and like, I wanted to go home. Like, it was one of those reactions where you, as a designer, you, you feel what you're doing is cool. And I had won a path, the, first, the replacement of the triangle pathfinder, the first one. I had won the second one. And it was killed by regulation, unfortunately. But I went to Japan for the decision meeting. So, you know, when you're thinking, because you, I had, in the pre-meetings, I had already, my design was selected. So you, you're feeling somewhat like, okay, you, you're doing something that people are resonating. And so you naturally feel a little confident because you're also 23, 24 years old. <laughs> I opened the door to that and I, I wanted to go home because I felt like I was just rubbish. Like, and I, it's like one of those things that immediately changed my taste. It was as a clay model, it had no features. It was just a pure, sleek, beautiful form. That I couldn't even understand that. I saw the tape outline of the headlamps. At that time, you didn't have headlamps angled like that. It was like part technical breakthrough that we weren't used to, and also just the minimalism. This sense. It moved me. That's why the Z has that. Some parts are super minimal, because I'm in love with them. But the other parts is that talking to people, everyone keep talking about 240. When we did the, the Revival Z, so the 2000 Z designed by Jay Panchal, we had a retro car there too, at the go with one. It was no votes. Hmm. The company and society was still looking forward 100%. And something happened here that the same circumstances, we had a very forward-looking modern challenge everything proposal and we had the one that was selected it was a why are we here what, what is this car oh no 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 I thought we always thought we we're making this one <laughs> it was that kind of thing it was the quickest DDM and executives were like what do you need what is it was unlike other <laughs> kind of meetings and I really want people to somehow feel eras of Z but still feel like they after the break, I'll continue my conversation with Alfonso Albaiza, Nissan's global design leader. And to see my interview with Alfonso, go to the Cars and Culture YouTube channel. Please like and subscribe to see more than 60 episodes. The automobile is one of the most important inventions that revolutionized the modern world in America. The rich history of car culture runs deep as technology continues to shape the future of the industry. Jason Stein, former publisher of Automotive News, is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars, from industry leaders and innovators to car-obsessed celebrities. Buckle up as Jason takes you inside the boardroom, onto the track, and around the bend on Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business Radio. Welcome back. I'm Jason Stein in Miami. Now the continuation of my conversation with Alfonso Albaiza, Nissan's global design boss. And to see my interview with Alfonso, go to the Cars and Culture YouTube channel. Please like and subscribe to see more than 60 episodes. What element of the vehicle, two questions, what element are you most proud of and what element was the most difficult to achieve? It might be the same, but there's many elements I can... Uh add some, but the, the silhouette was, in the, in the modern era, a car with the rear lower than the, the, the front volume, it doesn't really it exist doesn't so exist. much. Yeah. And, uh, but we knew this, was, from the beginning, like when we start a project, we, we have this proportion phase where the designers get to you know, have very close relationship with the package engineers. And we wanted the hood longer, so the car got longer. Uh, and uh, it's interesting how quickly people appreciated some of these big requests. That doesn't mean it's possible. Right. And, uh, and the possible parts re relating to crash performance, relating to weight, it's a sports car. From the beginning we knew twin turbo, 400 horsepower, and the, with a manual, was like, it wasn't a foregone conclusion, but it was on the table of things that were likely, um, if we can figure out how to get a manual to handle all that kind of force. 
And uh, so the, the rear was the part that was a bit tricky because the, the, the rear wants to be a little bit higher. But it didn't need to be at the end. You know, this is the thing. I, 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 you know, designers get a little bit of a bad rap for challenging everything. But the Z car. Well, you create these beautiful vehicles that can't be put into production, right? Yes. <laughs> and the Z was a bit of an, an eye opener in the sense that some of the things that seem not possible or not likely actually can. You just have to adjust other areas to compensate for certain things. So I do love the silhouette because it, it was not easy. It was really things would inch up and then it comes back down and. And, uh, but the, the headlamps were really tough because we didn't want the car to be cute. And of course, around type of light would have, was studied significantly. And we had super modern ones that had nothing round and the car was nice. But some people, the mood of the company was this has to be a 240. Like finally, let's make what we have been teasing and tickling and because the uh, uh, Jay's Revival Z was never wanted to have anything to do because the 300ZX had become unpopular. It's hard to imagine today, but it was a car that wasn't selling very well. It was expensive. And when it was launched, it was, it was breathtaking. Yes, it was. So uh, Jay and, uh, and uh, those of us, but uh, Randy Rodriguez, the following the 370 was supposed to be a 240, but not, it didn't really, you're mixing modernity and so we were very afraid of that. We, okay, we really want to make a 240. So that, the, luckily the Genos, uh, we're, we're so close to our Zama factory, our heritage museum. So uh, one of the great things is just make a phone call, can we bring it over? Any call, including racing calls. Uh, and we have those in our studio. So we bought the Genos, and it, the way the light was hitting the, the, the glass cover, it was the cue because it intersected the round light. Mm. And it gave us license to artistically interpret the Genos with the Z. So that was, to be honest, a midnight. The last midnight came through very, and the rear end was easy other than its height, but we knew we wanted it to be like the 300. Do you wear a, or do you feel the responsibility when you start a project like the Z, given all that, given all of your history, right back here to the streets of Miami, given the history of seeing that first clay model, given the fact that everybody's been waiting so long for the next iteration, are, are though, you know, we mentioned the opportunity versus the... Um, I'm a stress kid. I really feel it on every project, but the Z I was quite, yeah. It felt so different than, so I was with a J working on the, the 350, and actually the interior is mine enough. Um, I didn't have that, maybe because I was much younger, but I felt a great responsibility because the company was on its knees. So when we're designing it, we're uh, not a heavyweight, Closer. What, what is the right below heavyweight? Uh, we are a big company that was on its back, and uh, we were not up yet. The, the, to get money for a Z call was not the priority in a company that's making almost 20 cars. Uh, you know, you can easily collapse the company by making too many cars, where you have to. Before you're making money, you're dropping major, major, major money for the factories, all the tooling. So I was impressed. I kept thinking this car is going to stop. Because all the other cars in the studio actually make financial sense. And they're needed. You need a new road. 600,000 units globally. And no one's going to question that. And the Pathfinder, even though just American, yeah, D-segment SUV, Here's of course. Point. And it was so cool in the studio, everyone, oh my god, okay, can you make it sooner? I mean, that's really, down the hallway, you can talk to some people about the sooner stuff. And um, so I was very worried. So not only worried about failing with the design, worried that I was now in love 
and heartbreak is painful <laughs> and disappointing people and all of this stuff and it, it, you know to be a car designer you, you, you have to be part child because you need this emotional thing to allow you to want to change everything all the time to get frustrated quickly I'm sure it's a bit of a burden for the company especially HR <laughs> but um, yeah I, I was I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a stress kid because you know, there's people who love cars and uh, they are well, really we, eager to have the next thing and the community around this particular vehicle is probably as fervent as anything else yes. that exists in the world Peter, Peter Brock uh, mm -hmm. he was interesting because uh, I went to visit some people like, like him before we started and he was reluctant to say anything like because I want to know what would you like what would you this is an opportunity we haven't started and he was very like oh no 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 it's going to be great and they, they've all been great so it's going to be great just enjoy he's very like encouraging and then uh, his wife kind of <laughs> smacked him he goes no he wants you to change those door handles <laughs> bring him in <laughs> So I knew that if I mess that up, I'm going to be in a be, lot of trouble. There's going to be a lot to answer for. Enzo Ferrari famously said in 1961 when he saw the Jaguar XKE at the Geneva Motor Show that it was the most beautiful car that he'd ever seen. What automotive design captures your imagination? Uh, I mean, obviously the Jag because it was why I got in it and the Italians of the 60s I, I have a, a softness the, my mom used to watch The Graduate over and over oh. again the and the Alpha I just loved the duet it, so much I was just I wanted my first when I was 25 I needed to have to, my fantasy was I would buy an Alpha 5 and uh, I had an Isuzu Impulse at the time that had difficulty starting <laughs> and I remember at lunch it didn't start and I had to push it it was a bit humiliating and then I drove back to the studio and there was a Alfa Romeo at a Corns Motors dealer uh, with a little discount it was like $19,000 or something like that this is uh, this is 1991 and I'm still student loans and apartments <laughs> the bills but I'm like okay I have to drive in and just I have to check and uh, and it, it was a good monthly price wasn't so bad and I drove off and it struck me that I'm not 25 <laughs> and uh, that fantasy and I did love I, did, I really loved that whole experience but um, so the alphas but uh, I must say that the car that that is most humbling in the sense of when you see a design that came from a place you don't understand, like as an artist or designer, like what was that idea? I had just become director for um, North America. Part of that job was participating in the selection of internet, you know, global groups, even the ones we don't work And um, And back then, uh, this is uh, 2000, was you get things in FedEx. And, uh, and their photos. And uh, there was an interesting car. It's a kind of big wheels, kind of coupish, but this is an SUV. And the first one, very angular, kind of cool, okay, kind of cool. I look at the next one, a bit angular, also kind of cool. The third one was an egg that swallowed an aircraft carrier. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell is that? And it like moved you, right? It's a bit like the 300. That happened. To you you see something artistic that you don't know how they came up with. That. It was the FX. So even though I think your question is a, a broader one, uh, I, I love 911s. They're refining that stone always so impeccably. But the shock value of that FX, probably because I saw the scale, photograph of the scale, it was traumatic. And I'm always chasing that, that sense of the wow, like where did that come from? Uh, it's, that's the toughest thing. 
to do that, where it almost, that if we think about that time, there was only the BMW X5. So it was a major leap of design to combine coupage, personal car with the biggest, the two, first 22 inch or something like that. Right. Biggest wheels in the world. I'll ask you some continual uh, uh, general questions. I've asked Frank Stevenson on this program. I've, I've asked Clay Dean. I've asked Ralph Gilles. Um, what are the indicators that you look at? What are the long range design trends that help you design? Probably my colleagues have similar answers. You know, you just get inspired by someone always throws a stone and it ripples and it's impressive when you know if you look through the history of car design someone made the first move and then that has a so you're always looking for like oh this is interesting I wonder what they were thinking and oh that's an interesting you know when you went from the jelly beans back to the, the architectural structure things the Audi TT was a big like shock at the time of the Beatle, those those things like on the one side you can be fully retro and cool and charming as a car, which cars were not necessarily charming. And then the TT, this industrial chic little thing, is still little. Um, there's moments where you felt designers created a, a, a mood and that went through the... So you're always looking at that. Um, and then in yourself, you're looking at technology, like what's happening in architecture or in consumer goods and your furniture design. And you get inspired by attitudes that are changing in our other fashion designers. So we're mixing all that. We're in the studio, we're talking. Everyone's a fanatic in the studio. I think they love design not just car design, motorcycles. And, you know, the Ducatis used to be the, what everyone talked about, and then it moves to some other trend, and now the, uh, these kind of cafe racers are, they're, they're actually still cool, they were cool 20 years ago. And coming back again, yeah. actually. And so we were watching all of that, all of it, and then society, you know, the conflicts or not conflicts, the, Euphoria or a, moments and or a pandemic. Pandemic that changed us. And that also is good and bad. The way we're working now is a result of the pandemic and some of it horrible, deeply horrible. But also some of the things we thought you needed to do, like travel, like you need to see the client, especially in big companies with studios everywhere. I was on a plane every two weeks. And I haven't flown, I've flown three times in two and a half years. <laughs> and we are, it accelerated things. So, you know, we've always, as a Japanese company, we've always had digital and we, we had VR a long time. We didn't use it. And now we have live VR and avatars and we can have live meetings. And I hear every voice now where in the past you go, the boss is there that this director of the studio is next to me, we're talking, problem solving, quick, quick. The voices would be unheard, actually. Yes, there's 20 people looking at the clay model, but you heard three voices, maybe. Now, because these mics are so, and you see the avatars moving around the car, where everyone used to be behind you, you see a little, someone pop, bing, to there, and you see the name and everything. Well, you have your own avatar now, too. I have an avatar, which is embarrassing. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's for on Instagram, yes. It up. <laughs> but um, this, uh, these things we wouldn't have accelerated. Our DDMs are uh, spectacular. I have an image also where the, it looks like the Last Supper. Twelve executives, all of them goggled up. These are not designers. One of them is an engineer who, of course, is also sympathetic to the technology. Other than me and the engineer, everyone else, this is alien. And it's impressive how quickly. And it saved millions, millions of the model making. We used to believe that an executive cannot choose if 
we didn't make the highest level plastic model. So the each, and there was three exteriors, each one $350,000 or whatever. So at each milestone, you were looking at millions, two million because of the two. It bought. Wow. Got. Wow. Not to mention the years that have not been shaved off your life because of time zone travel. Yes, yeah. Right. All these Given things. your three flights in two and a half years. Now we're going to travel again. I, I think yeah. that the human side is also what we didn't, we, we underestimated. Because everything was working well. We were seeing Zooming and all yeah. of this. So in, a, in one way, you had the perception that you're connecting more. But on the other side, people are feeling a bit isolated. And so I, I do think we're going to have to find a happy medium. Well, you can't have those wonderful conversations that are impromptu and that sp spur a thought or an idea, um, you know, simply because you're in the same room together and it's not forced and orchestrated the way that um, a Zoom call might be. And uh, the things that are not on the camera. Right. So a studio is more than one project. And you, when you, you walk through the California or the London or the or Shanghai studio, sometimes it's a sketch that was not selected for many reasons, but it's inspiring something else. So there's a little model or there's a conversation. Yeah. Uh, that, we need to reverse that after COVID. As we go into autonomous vehicles, what's going to separate one vehicle from another? Will it remain exterior design? Will it be more emphasis on interior design? Practically, or the most, the tangible things, of course, our interiors are just being transformed by autonomous driving. It's a combination of the connectivity that was also, it's probably not specifically linked. So EV, electrification, autonomous, and connectivity, not, they don't need each other, but they have been helped by each other. So the, the screens and what you can do, the access to apps, all these things were coming. But if you didn't have autonomous driving, how are you going to deal with 2,000 apps? Well, probably you shouldn't anyway, even under autonomous conditions. But the architecture, what you're asking seats to do in the future, what are you asking steering wheels to do in the future, uh, it's having monstrous architectural changes. Uh, the drive-by-wire, which uh, if you ask anyone, everyone hates, it's, a, it's going to be a requirement in the very near future because this, what do you do with a steering wheel on a, the highest level of autonomous driving? It becomes a bit of an obstacle. And uh, there's going to be things that are going to again change our world. But attraction and human nature is not changing that quickly. We still love what we love and people are attracted by objects. And so the, the, the job of us as exterior designers is just more holistic now. You still are in love with shape and you need, it's what attracts people, it's human nature. Uh, but yes, it's true, the, the interior has, is really transformative. And, uh, and now we're not probably doing enough. The, the, one of the biggest interests is, and I always ask my, Matt Weaver is the vice president of our European studio, is like, well, the European cars, the silhouettes are almost identical. And even it doesn't matter if it's an EV or rear wheel drive. Right. Humans are not rational completely. Even the, Rationality is a kind of European DNA thing. The, there is right. And in the US, it's less. They're a little bit more open to different things. And the Japanese as, as well. So we're finding all the time like this interesting thing. Now that we have these skateboard platforms, you can really put windshields anywhere. It's not being challenged that much. Probably lucid a bit. It's the, one of the, it's changed a bit. The, visual but uh, I think the next generation hopefully people are a little bit more creative about the definition of a car especially silhouettes that's my own hope Newsweek magazine had an inaugural uh, list of world's greatest auto disruptors you were on that list 
the flew to New York, you collected the award, you saw your daughter as well. What does it mean to you uh, in their in their designer of the year uh, awards to name you as as one of the greatest auto disruptors? I was relieved that it wasn't punitive. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> I misunderstood. I it, <laughs> of course, I was. I thought it was a, when I got the phone call. I thought it was a joke or something like. I you thought you've done something wrong. I don't see myself like that at all. I mean, what? It's a bit like you're being recognized for the job description. Your job <laughs> in 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 a company that's so big. The unusual or irresponsible idea is our job because companies very easily get comfortable with the right decision and that we need you know humans are not looking always for the right decision so I feel it's our job to say hey what if the, the what ifs in the company we have to show them we also do the rational one so they see some of that so I mean I was very humbled by that, especially in the art, you know, the, the people, there's some spectacular lead designers that, that I didn't know how they made their decision, but uh, especially where, you know, it's a community of people who are always pushing and, and wanting better for the world through the automobile. So it was tremendously humbling. One final humbling thought, driving the Z through the streets of Coconut Grove, Miami. I mean, that, there couldn't be a more defining period for you, I'm guessing, or defining moment. No, there, there's no. I mean, it's quite emotional. I haven't driven it yet today. Um, when I get in the car, it's just, um, you know, there are not that many Zs so to be able to have worked on a couple, but this one is much more, of course, I was head of design and, and the discussions that led up to that car finally making it. And when I'm going to park it in the, the place where that E-type was and uh, if the, the new residents will allow it, and then I'm going to take a photo. Yeah, great. <laughs> and then I'll go to prison. <laughs> Thank you for being on the program. Thanks so much. What a pleasure, Thank Alfonso. You. Thanks again to Alfonso Albaiza, Nissan's global design boss, for being my guest today in Miami. And to see my interview with him and a walk around of the vehicle and a tour through his neighborhood, go to the Cars and Culture YouTube channel. Please like and subscribe to see more than 50 episodes. And thanks for listening to Cars and Culture. You can follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook, as well as on Instagram at Cars and Culture SXM and Twitter at Cars and Culture. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit, and we'll see you down the road. Sirius XM Business Radio.